How many of us sang that song from the bottom of our hearts? Can you lift up your hands and just bless God this morning? Let's give him praise. Let's honor him. I heard a man of God said this sometimes back. He said the calling of God has a zip code. That the calling of God has an address attached to it. There is a place to serve. You are not just giving a message. There is a place to serve. Every attempt that Paul made to preach to the circumcised failed. But when he got to the land of the Gentiles, the message was spreading like wildfire. Hallelujah. The call of God has a zip code. It is not a mistake that you are born in Nigeria. There is a reason. That you are in Nigeria, there is a reason to it. And as you move from place to place, the environment matters. One of the most surprising things in the Bible is that the children of Israel sinned against God. And God raised up Nebuchadnezzar to take them to the land of captivity in Babylon. Do you know what the Lord said? Some people began to prophesy. They said, don't worry, don't worry. The Lord your God will arise. He will bring you back to this country. They began to lie. God raised up a servant for himself, Jeremiah. He said, go and tell them to pray for the peace of the land of their captivity. He said, in their peace is your own peace. He said, marry. Give your children in marriage. Because this is of the Lord. We are not of those who look at situations and situations is what determines what we prophesy. God forbid. God forbid. We are those who listen to the voice of God. What is he saying to our nation? What instruction is he giving us? What is he telling us? What sort of believers ought we to be at such a time as this? We are not just people who are filled with emotion. Emotion is just running riot. We are saying no manner. We are expressing no manner. No! We are Christians. We are believers. We belong to an eternal king who reigns in the affairs of men. When this world is wrapped up, we will still be living, praising our king. I think people forget that the kingdoms of this world is limited. They are limited. They are not forever. But there is a kingdom that we belong to that is forever. That kingdom dictates what happens here. So no matter what you see, we are not discouraged. Our eyes and our gaze are consistently on that kingdom. Hallelujah. We give you praise, Jesus. Amen. Put your hands together. Let's celebrate the Lord this morning. We love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. You may have your seats, everyone. I know we have our mask on, but I realize that even when you smile behind the mask, your eyes can tell the other person that you're actually smiling at him or her. So can you smile? Look at your neighbor and smile. Yes. This is the church of the living God. It's the pillar and the ground of truth. This is where God is. Amen. See, I'm so excited about today. 
I couldn't wait for today to come. You know why? Because um, we just finished a series last week on taking roots downward. And I remember it was Sister Bridget, Mrs. Musa, that asked the question about why be believers are behaving somehow, defrauding people. And one of the statements that was made last week was that religion in Africa, and especially Nigeria, is all over the place. So when you come to Nigeria everywhere, in fact, you don't even need to talk to anybody. God bless you, enterprises. The devil is a liar, evangelistic ministry. Everywhere you turn, you see God. But he said, Christianity in Nigeria is less than one inch thick. What is the essence of bringing people to the kingdom who cannot contend for the faith? What is the essence of bringing people, of having believers who cannot show that this is the mind of God concerning this situation? What is the essence? Because what you, what you begin to have is that within the cacophonic, um, the noise, you cannot really single out the voices of believers. Because they say the same thing. They complain the same way. They argue the same way. Everything we say, the same. And so we can, people cannot really find that voice of direction in the midst of this confusion. Amen. Amen. But I believe God this morning that as we explore this topic, that your heart will be enlightened. Amen. Amen. There is a scripture I want to show you before we go into, our, uh, the, into the uh, discussions this morning. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Wow. Okay. Let, let me take it from verse 13, but if you can, when you get home, just read the entire chapter. It talks about the wisdom of God and all that. Uh, no, no, no. Let me start from verse 10. To give context. But God has revealed them to us. Now, in verse 9, he said, no eye had seen. Okay, maybe we should start from verse 9. For it is written, I has not seen nor hear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 10. But God has revealed these things. God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yet, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received. Now we have received. Not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak. Not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because these things they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual, this is where I'm going. He who is spiritual does what? Judges all things. Yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that they may instruct him? But we do what? We have the mind 
of Christ. The reason why you are able to judge all things is because you have the mind of Christ. Now, you might think you understand that scripture, but not really. The Bible says you have the ability to appraise what is happening around you. You have the ability to clearly define the issues, not just of your life, but of your nation. He said the reason why you possess such ability is because the mind of Christ, the thought process of Christ, the viewpoint of God exists within you. So when you look at situations, you are not really seeing those situations. You are seeing those situations through the perspectives of God, through God's perspective. That's what he's saying there. And it's such a very deep scripture because he didn't say one day we will receive. He said we have received the spirit that is from God. He said the spirit we possess is not from the world. It's from God. So when the world is, when the world is doing whatever they are doing, we possess the spirit of God. That is higher wisdom than that of this world. So how come our language is the same with that of the world? How come we complain? How come we say the same? I'm not saying it's wrong to complain or anything. But the point I'm trying to make here is that how come your voice does not seem to beat with the same rhythm with that of God? How come there is dissonance between what you are saying and what the word of God is saying? Hallelujah. So this morning, before we go into this, let me just acknowledge some people. Um, I can see evangelist um, Leonard in the house. Hallelujah. Just let me celebrate him. God bless you real good. I think his fiance is there also. What's your name, ma'am? Huh? Christ Christiana. Oh, almost sounds like Christine. <laughs> Christiana. Hallelujah. So you're, you're welcome to church. And then Today, I have a very big surprise. Um, I wasn't expecting, uh, you know, we have, this family is big, the family of God. So it's not only TBC I belong to, I belong to other, other groups. I just saw members of um, Youth for Christ worshiping with us. God bless you. Thank you so much. The state coordinators are here. Uh, the state coordinator of Taraba. I see the state coordinator of Delta. Delta. And of course, our national and regional director. Is also in the house. Thank you so much for worshiping with us. Amen. Now to the real business. To the real business. How many of you tweeted about this service? <laughs> or how many of you were confused as should I tweet? Will it be, will I still be an obedient child of God if I tweet about service? Let me review Pastor Benro's secret. Somebody said you should stop tweeting. Say yes, I will stop, but I will continue to tweet about church. <laughs> and so every morning when we pray, I will see Pastor Ben Rose tweet. Let us pray. It's time to wake up and pray. Hallelujah. I don't know if you have been watching the news lately. There was the last thing I watched last night before I slept was a lady who was lamenting. They just buried, was it a burial or a wedding? I think a burial. They just had a burial in Port Harcourt. And then she saw her brother to the park. And they got somewhere along the way. And guess what happened? The, the guy said, ah, the driver dropped us. The soldiers are everywhere and all that. It's on social media. You can check it out. Lo and to cut it short, by the time she, was, she called the number, it was going. At some point, the number was not going again. They kept calling. But eventually, when they made the call, somebody picked up. And he said, come and collect the phone in so-so place. And when she got there, she was arrested, 
taken to the station. And then she said, yes, we're going to lock you up because you are an accomplice or you are one of the members of this gang. And lo and behold, they show her pictures and she saw a brother among those who were murdered as unknown gunmen. Yes. She said, I will produce pictures. I don't know if they will have time stamp on those pictures. But what she wanted to do is to show them that this person just left us. These are the pictures we took at the ceremony. When did this person become a gunman? That's the reality of the nation we are living in. We live in a nation where I'm not trying to incite anything. In fact, by the time I conclude and I invite the people to join me here, you will know where I'm going to. We live in a nation where some people just wanted to, I think it was a reprisal attack or whatever, got to a particular village, was it a village or a town in your state, and then they act down 15 people. Of course, they said 50, but it was 15 that was counted. Cross-check, fact-check. <laughs> 15 people act down, killed just like that. And then the supposed um, self-proclaimed leader of the of a particular movement, let me put it that way, led people to that town to go and comb the, the forest and bring them out. As they were about to get to the town, they saw six Hilux vehicles belonging to the Nigerian army trailing them from behind and instructing them not to go into the forest. In another town, I won't mention, they were celebrating June 12th, just yesterday, right? Just yesterday. And then they suspected a particular bus. When the people came down from the bus, they came from a particular region. By the time they came back, they were bringing out ammunition from the vehicle. That is the nation we are living in. There is proliferation of small arms and light weapons everywhere. I'm telling you. Everywhere. Small good in. Now, so in the, and, and of course, there is, uh, people, there is perceived um, injustice in the land. I'm using the word perceived deliberately. Perceived injustice, where when you look at the appointment and everything, they look lopsided and things like that. And so in the midst of all this, somebody who has been building a platform for so long, we saw it for so long, and I'm not holding beer for him, started a movement. They proscribed that movement, he started another one. You know about IPOB? You know about ESN? And then the Yoruba nation felt short changed in Nigerian nation. And so a man that you don't know, don't say that, it, I don't think, now call him illiterate all you want. But he knows how to mobilize. Yeah. He mobilized people and thousands of people are following him all across the country. Because people are desperately looking for a leader. And so he said, we're going to declare Odudua Republic. When he entered into a kitty, the guy was shocked. Because he's been operated along or your axis. When he got to a kitty and the whole street was filled up with people, we are in desperate need of leadership. But in the midst of all this, what, should, what sort of believers should we be? How should we view the situation? When we analyze what is going on, what conclusion must we come to? That is what this meeting, today's service, is about. I asked myself a question. I said, was Jesus involved in politics? 
Or was Jesus just about his business, his father's business? He was just busy teaching and, and all these things. Was he really into politics? Did he make comments on what was going on? Because the Jews were undergoing Roman occupation at the time Jesus was born. And so Jesus was born in a kind of colonial era, right? And so things were going, oppression and all that was already going on, injustice everywhere. Did he make comments and all that? On the surface, you may answer, no, he did not. He just faced this business. You are very wrong. He was always rebuking the Pharisees. He was always rebuking the, the Sadducees. He was always talking about the leaders of the people. Who do you think Pharisees and Sadducees were? In today's parlance, that would be PDP and APC. People didn't know that. They thought Pharisees and, and, and Sadducees are just religious guys. No, the Sadducees do not believe in miracles. They were socialists in their orientation. What I see is what I believe. They were rich. They were aristocrats. Rich people. They wouldn't mix so much with the poor. They were the ruling class. They had link to Rome. So if the governor of that particular area should mess up, they would report to Rome, to Caesar. That was the Sadducees. Did you know that? The Pharisees were, more, were closer to the, to the poor. Closer to the poor. They believed in miracles. They believed, you know, all the things that um, the people believed. They too believed the same. But Jesus did not align himself with either of the two. Jesus came and he was preaching something different from the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Hallelujah. We don't have much time. Someone should take this pulpit away. And let's dig into what we have today. Put your hands together. <laughs> Hallelujah. I, ha I have two people this morning that um, I'm going to really, really engage. And um, I selected them because I've read some of the things they have said over the years. I've... Um, listen to them. I think I understand the way they think and reason. So when it comes to bringing the mind of Christ into national issues, I believe it's very, very important we get the right people to do it. This morning, help me celebrate and welcome Barrister Max Ikombe. He's a minister in the house, but I'm calling him Barrister for a reason. <laughs> welcome. Hallelujah. Um, and the second person I'm going to call is our dear pastor. He's a prophet by calling. He doesn't go by that title, but we know he's a prophet. Hallelujah. He sees things before they happen. Hallelujah. Pastor Benro Gundipe. Everyone. Amen. So this particular service is going to be focused on for God and country. The intersection between faith and nations and or our nation. Even though what we are discussing is going to um, focus more on Nigeria, but I want you to know that uh, the conversation, you can apply it anywhere. Take this message, take it to United States, take it to Peru, Peru, take it to Cambodia or wherever, it will be relevant. And I will tell you why we are doing this. We are doing this because I personally searched the internet. I was looking for messages that help us to address national issues. I was looking for messages, God's perspective on what is going on in our nation. People made comments here and there, but I didn't find one. But the man I found happens to be an American. 
And some of the things I put up here and my meditation were largely shaped by, by, by listening to him and, and reading some of the things he has written. His name is um, Andy Stanley. You might know his father. I think he was a Baptist pastor and all that. And I was asking myself, where have you been all my life? The man is 63 years old. So I was wondering, how come I'm just discovering you? Amen. These conversations are very, very going to be maybe difficult. It depends on where you fall. But they are very difficult conversations to have, but we must have them. We must have them. Because in this house, don't assume that we don't have anybody here following Mazi Unamdi Kanu. Then never assume that you don't have anybody following Sunday at the Yemo. We call him Sunday Go. And I'm not even here to judge. I'm not here to judge anybody. I'm just here to present the mindset of God, and then you'll be the one to judge where you should belong and what you should be doing. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So, I believe God will help us. The questions I'll be asking them this morning will fall under four categories. First, we're going to explore the kingdom of God. That is the message of the kingdom. Okay, I will ask questions around that. And then secondly, we are going to look into politics and platforms. So we're going to look at the choices that people make, okay? Political choices, political views, political values that people hold. We're going to look at that. And I'm also going to, the third thing area that we're going to delve into will be policy and legislation. You know, government comes up with policies, government comes up with legislations. So these are the things that guide and rule our existence, our coexistence, right? And so we're going to look at that. And then lastly... We're going to explore believers' perspective and attitude to, to secessionist movements. <laughs> okay? Very interesting stuff. Right? Very interesting. So, to kick it off, I want to ask the two of you a very basic question. And I will tell you why I'm asking this question. Who is a Christian? The reason why I'm asking this question is that if you sit in a political meeting it might be difficult to say, oh, that person, because of that view, because of the way he's talking, this person, I suspect this one is a Christian. Or you begin to pick like that. But we realize that's not so. That's not true. What usually happens is that at that point, you cannot really tell who a Christian is or who is not. Right? That's why I'm asking this question. It may look so basic, but it will help us to unearth how far we removed we are from the ideals of Christ. Okay? Because we are called Christians. So, let me start with Barista Max. Who is a Christian? Morning, yeah, morning church. And uh, thank you very much, Pastor, for this engagement. The moment you told me about this engagement, you know, my first thought was that, indeed, it's, it's important yeah. that we deliberately approach some of these issues. Because, you know, we could just leave it and people form, you know, opinions and believe, but it's good. So, you're yeah, answering the question who is a Christian. I, I mean, it's, uh, for me, as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's basic and straightforward. You know, a Christian is a person who has accepted uh, Christ, the yeah. message of the gospel, and who has committed, you know, as far as his life is concerned, to live, you know, by the dictates of uh, the Holy Scriptures mm. and, of course, you know, under the leading of the Spirit. But, however, from your question, what I think becomes the issue now is that Christians are different levels of maturity and different yieldedness to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So there's the Christian who is still at that stage where 
just like a human being. A baby is a human being, but will run around naked. Yeah. But a full-grown adult would not do the same thing. So we have those Christians who are not manifesting what it should be. And, you know, these guys would find themselves in, you know, in, the, in, um, in that political office or that political meeting. And he's the one who is spewing hate, who is spewing, you know, genocidal um, uh, uh, comments and all of that. But yet, you know, he's inwardly a Christian, but unfortunately he's not manifesting that uh, Christ-like attitude. But I fully agree with you that, that indeed when a Christian is in a political setting, there ought to be a difference. You know, just like you said, if you read, you know, the engagement of Christ with the political authorities of his day. Yeah. You can see that they clearly, you know, yeah. it's, not, it's not shades of gray. Mm. There's a clear difference when you see his engagement with the political. And it's not necessarily, uh, you know, from the viewpoint of being abrasive and all, but it's yeah. a viewpoint of, look, there's a third viewpoint here. Mm -hmm. So there's the right, there's the left, and whatever. But there's, a, there's another viewpoint here that is wow. from above, and it's not on the same horizontal plane. So I fully agree that a Christian actually, in the political context, must stand out separately. Wow. Thank you so much, TJ. Praise God. So um, there's very little to add to that. Um, the only thing I will add is that a Christian must also be vocal. Wow. You must also be speaking about it. Everything that's been, you know, outlined is correct 100%. But um, because human beings engage in social settings, there needs to be a way to tell. Mm. And so at some point, they were saying these people had been with Christ. Mm. That's why they started calling them Christians. And if you are going to take the Christ kind of thing or the Christ kind of life, you have to be doing what he was doing. Mm. And one of the things he was doing was speaking. Mm. After teaching, you know, as you were talking, you mentioned that um, before we came up, you said, did Christ talk about politics? And I, immediately this phrase came to my mind that, go tell that fox. <laughs> so I was trying to remember where it was, and it's in Luke 13. And the reason why that came up was that he was teaching about the narrow way. Mm. So he was saying, you know, you have to change, you have to behave yourselves. And then Pharisees came to tell him that, ah, please come and be going. Herod is after you. And he said, go and tell him I will continue teaching. Mm. I will continue speaking. So the Christian has a role to play wow. beyond this is my life. It is also to bring people to that life. Wow. Thank you so much. And, and as you were talking, I just remembered um, the comment that Dami made in one of our midweek services that we have not been called into self-preservation right? But we've been called to obey. I think some, something like that. Very, very apt. Thank you so much, Barista Max. And then you add, you've added to it that, in fact, one of the first noticeable gifts of the Spirit happens to be utterance. So believers cannot be quiet. We cannot be quiet. Now, this second question, if you don't think that we've already answered it, but it borders around placements. Why does it seem, why is it that most of the time, we, we put our political views and values in front of our faith. So our faith is behind, and we put our political views at the things that we see. Now, it shows when we talk. It shows when we make comments and all that. I don't know. Do you think, do you have something to add to that, or do you feel that we've already answered that? Uh, thank you. I think it's a very important question. And um, just picking back on what, you know, Dami said about this issue of self-preservation. I think the challenge is that um, why we have that problem is because believers have come to this point where we see 
the Christian life and the, you know, the role of God in our lives are supporting, you know, primarily our own desires and our mm. tastes. So I am supporting this political party. Therefore, God, we are praying, let us win this election. So, you know, God is now, you know, is now being channeled to, to fulfill your own purpose. So it, it's that mindset. I remember the last time, you know, I had the opportunity of speaking and I said something and I look, that if there's anyone who is entitled to, have, to be a suicide bomber, you should be a Christian. Mm. And let me explain that. I'm not saying suicide bomber from the negative part of killing and destruction yeah. and causing pain. But from that viewpoint, of say, look, I give up my own life mm. for a greater cause. If there's anybody who should have that mindset, it should be the Christian. Wow. Because he knows that, look, worst case scenario, the day I die, you know, Paul said it is far better because I'm going home to be with the Lord. So we should be more willing to not um, engage politics and all just from the viewpoint of, like I said, you know, sometimes you see Christians engaging from the viewpoint of, oh, they are killing Christians. Oh, they are this. We are trying to protect ourselves. Oh, Christians, take up arms and fight for yourself. You know, and I'm, I, it's not exactly wrong, but I'm just saying, if I would be more, I think it's better when, if Christians are engaging even national issues, it is from the viewpoint of the nation, of the benefit, particularly of the person who is not even from your faith, who does not have a voice to speak. You should actually be gunning for that person, not for your own self-preservation, because wow. you are already assured, yeah. both in this life and in the life that is after. That man is not assured of the life that is here after. So you should be engaging to see, let me keep this man alive so that this gospel will reach him, and then he can also have that assurance, rather than we just want to preserve ourselves. Wow. Thank, thank you so much. Um, Pastor Binro, we answered the next question I have. But one thing that your, quest, your response uh, brought to my mind is that as at the time that... Um, I didn't know you were going to say this, but you brought this up in my mind. That when, uh, wasn't it this ship that sank? Um, Titanic. Titanic yeah. As at the same, the, almost the same time that Titanic sank, there was another ship that actually sank. And in that ship were those who were going for a Christian conference. In fact, I think Salvation Army guys. Now, what baffled the, the investigators was that where they were kept in the ship was where they kept um, the life jackets and everything. So when the ship was sinking, they found out that all, all of them died. Despite the fact that they were the ones who were in the chamber within that ship that had life vests and all that. Do you know what they found out? The survivors began to relate their stories. That somebody swam towards them and said, are you saved? And once you say you are not saved, they removed their life jacket, they put it on that person. They drowned Why they saved that person. So they said, I'm already saved. I know where I'm headed. But you, so they were busy swimming from one person to the other, asking, are you saved? And once you, your answer was no, or you were not convincing, they remove it and they give you the life jacket. Why they also, they, they gave up their life. So when you said the issue of, uh, so that, that Christians should be the one, it shouldn't be those that they ask them that, where will you be when you die? Where will you go? And then the answer that the leader gave is that, I don't know. I'm telling you. Forget all the things you read in papers that there will be these virgins, there will be this. The, the answer he gave in the book is that he didn't know. But we are assured because we have a living hope. Hallelujah. It's a good place to clap. Everyone. Yeah. So this next one, Pastor Benro, um, history has really shown us um, how culturally disruptive the message of Christ or the message of the kingdom is, right? Um, I just want to know, is it still culturally disruptive today? And I'll tell you why I'm asking this question. If you read history, one of the things we find about 
Western civilization. And when we're talking about Western civilization, what led to the transformation that you see in Europe, okay, in the UK and other places, and then that was later transported to the United States. Because if you read the article of, um, is the article of declaration that it's called? Well, the Constitution of the United States. You can easily see Christ. I mean, God is manifest. So it is still that culture that shaped the writing of that Constitution. So you know where I'm coming from. But as at the time Christ was born, Christ was like a footnote in the Draco-Roman civilization. It was just one of the characters. But years later, Draco-Roman civilization is a footnote now in the story of Christ. So is the, is the word or the message of the kingdom, is it still culturally disruptive today? That's a hard question. <laughs> Your okay. opinion. Okay, so yes it is. Okay. But we, we, we also need to kind of look at it with a, with a large lens. Here's what happens. Um, Christ was king or was alive mm. during a colonization. We are in a purported democracy. Mm. Wounded so, democracy. So um, some of the thinking should not be the same. Um, at the time, they killed them, what's his name? John the Baptist. Yes. You understand? Yes. So he was a victim, let's call it, of political. Yes. But his Christ's time, Christ's life, mm. was clearly about God's kingdom being brought on earth. And because of that, throughout time, the kingdom of Christ is still there. Wow. So, um, we can't compare it with a regular kingdom. Yes. And so, as believers, we know that our kingdom is forever. And so, if we are staying true to that, mm. we should not... Um, it was continuously disruptive. Mm. However, what happens is that like you have made allusions to and you have also spoken about, we tend to try and do this kingdom mm. and then put Christ in it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so you are trying to... During okay. the last election, some of us were APC, some of us were PDP. Mm. Uh, but you will see that underlying all of us, what we are looking for is justice. Mm -hmm. um, scripture talking about David, talking about every good king in the Bible said they pursued justice. Mm. So, I'm looking for justice yeah. in APC. Um, somebody else is looking for justice in PDP. And in both cases, as Christians, we are pursuing that God's love be shown to everyone. Mm. However, each party's vehicle has a different approach to it. Wow. In an attempt to legitimize our justice, we sometimes take funny parts. And so, anybody who is going to make parties change and do things right all the time yes. is definitely going to be disruptive. Wow. Wow. Thank you so much, Pastor Benro. Do you have just... Yes. Yes. 
thank you very much. I just wanted to add, you know, Pastor Mira has covered the basis very well. Yes. Just something different now, particularly pointed to the question. The issue of whether the gospel is disruptive culturally yes. to the current culture. Now, it's funny because when you read the Bible, it uses the language of the culture of the day. Mm. So, a king who reigns yes. supreme and all that. You know, mm. in the current world, culturally, it's no longer that way. We believe yeah, exactly. that look, everybody is subject to the law. So, even if you are the president of America, you are still subject to the law. Yes. Yeah. But, I mean, in those days, the king was the law. Supreme. And then the Bible is written in that language. So, if we are not careful, it's difficult to see the Bible, you know, in real life, mm. in the current world we live in you know, playing out in this culture because it was written in the language of a culture yeah. that's kind of different from the culture we have now. But I think what is always important is that in seeing the, 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 the because of, I mean, and I'll give a practical example now, for instance, we understand that in China, by state law, you know, Christianity and religion essentially is banned. Yes. There's the underground church which is striving. In Europe, there's freedom. You can be a Christian, you can be anything. But there's no church. So it tells us that, you know, using the culture, the current culture and the system of government, there's no system of government that will promote the gospel. Wow. That's the bottom line. Yes. Wow. We must know that and wow. have that in our exactly. mind. Wow. 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 <laughs> there is no system of government that promotes the, the gospel. gospel. Yes. Wow. I mean, that, that's a very strong perspective to hold. And um, when, when Pastor Benro was talking, something came to my mind that we said last week, and I think it's still relevant today, that Christ is not in PDP. Uh, sorry, don't, let me say it this way. <laughs> Christ is not a member of PDP. Yes, sir. Neither is he a member of APC. But those who are in PDP or APC, they have brought, I mean, they have scriptures that they can quote and all that to justify what is going on in PDP. And they have scriptures to quote to justify what is going on in APC. So the question we need to ask is where is Christ exactly? PDP or APC? You know, very interesting question to ask. But do you know what came to my mind? Because there are Christians in these parties, political parties, and by all means, we have the freedom to select or to choose the party we want to belong to. Hopefully one time, a time is going to come that our political parties in Nigeria will actually exist on the basis of ideologies and not just, um, not just to get to political office, <laughs> you know. The question, where I'm really driving at is this. In a situation where people think the word of God is to be applied, don't you think that it is the way that we perceive or we see or engage the word of God that is really the problem? We live in an environment where people read the word of God and then apply it to their heart, to their situations. So people quote scriptures to word of evil. People quote scriptures at situations. We all, some of us do it, right? We still do it. But what I see in the scriptures is different. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. It is not the word of God that is engaging situations. You are the one engaging situations with the word that is stored in your heart. So you are the oh no, let me say it differently. You are the one acting appropriately in every given situation because the word of God is in your heart. So we have people who are using the word of God, but the word of God is not in their heart. The belief they, that they have in the word of God is to the extent that they can apply it, not to the extent that it can transform them from inside out. From inside out. Um, Pastor Benro, no, you answered the last question. Let me go back to Minister Barrister Marx. There is something called conscience. 
When you talk about conscience, you are not really, you may not really be talking about Christ. You may not be talking about the kingdom. When you talk about conscience, you are just saying people should know or have a sense of right or wrong. Is that correct? Yeah. To put it. I believe there is such a thing as a national conscience. And I'll tell you why. In Greco-Roman civilization, one of the stories that we read is that if you give birth to someone who is deformed, you are not permitted to kill that person. What you do is that you take the baby to a particular place where the baby will either cry until he dies. So people were killing those. So if you, if you give birth to a baby out of wedlock and all that, you can smuggle the baby and put it somewhere and all that. The only thing is that don't kill the baby. But by the time the message of Christ swept, I mean, had made contact with that civilization, the national conscience of the then um, government was awoken. And they saw that that was wrong. Until such a time that you know about Constantine and all that. And they had to proscribe it. They had to put an end to that kind of practice. Now to my question. <laughs> in what ways can we awaken national conscience in Nigeria? If there is one. Yeah, thank you very much, sir. It's um, <laughs> actually a very difficult um, question. Because the, the challenge... Personally, I see with um, Nigeria is that a nation, just like a family, is um, a unit of productivity of fruitfulness in a sense. You know, when God created the first family, multiply, fill the earth, replenish it. So I see a nation as just a larger sense of that same ideology. Create people, create platforms, whether, you know, make enterprises work, make your people live a life that they're able to express themselves. So that means a, a nation at foundation should be that platform that creates productivity, you know, creativity and all of that. So when you talk of a national conscience now, it should be based on those things. You know, like you've said, you have talked about different cultures and what they think is most important to them. So we talk of the Spartans, for instance. Yeah. For them, you have to be brave. Mm. So give birth to a boy, dump him somewhere, he'll survive the world and come back, then he's brave. Mm -hmm. So each, each nation is shaped by those things. Of course, when it comes to the situation of Nigeria, it's peculiar because we cannot exactly say that we, you know, as a people, all the disparate people who make up Nigeria, had a time when we began to come together and through, you know, built that consciousness. I mean, of course, colonialism happened to us and then suddenly we found ourselves uh, become a nation. But having become a nation over time, it's expected that we should see, you know, ourselves as, you know, um, uh, united together to progress together and begin to develop that consciousness. Unfortunately, we have not developed it because the first foundation, which is about coming together to be fruitful and productive, for me, has not been answered. Rather, we just know that, look, there's um, a pot somewhere. So all we want is let my people be in control of that pot and we help ourselves as much as we can from it. So it's difficult to really look at Nigeria and find that unifying wow. uh, common conscience that we, we, you know, we can base it on. But I believe that one of the advantages, you know, when the Bible says we are the light and the salt of the earth is that he has put us here yeah. to actually create that thing that is yeah. lacking. Yeah. So it is when we as believers begin to show this thing by, by sacrifice yeah. that maybe other people will now see that look. And like I give an example. Let me give a very practical example. You know, I read this article written by a senior advocate of Nigeria and, uh, you know, from the East and written to his brothers in the East and telling them, look, don't be carried away and beat the drums of war wow. because you'll be worse off. The question he asked, and which is true, I've been to the north, I've been to the south. And I say, look, 
let's be sincere to ourselves. The North has monopolized power to an extent. They have always been in power. But look at how bad and terrible poverty and all is in these places. So I ask people, will you exchange this? Will you rather prefer that, um, let's say, the Igbos now be present all through and you have yeah. the poverty you have in the North? So it's, um, it's, it's a situation of, we, we, we may have to look at it the other way and maybe use our sacrifices to now show that, look, maybe the way up is by going under rather than fighting. And so maybe the only way we can develop national conscience may be from a viewpoint of, you know, in, uh, from the believers and the people we can influence. We make them sacrifice and not fight too much. And maybe with time we can show that it is better if we all use that same, uh, you know, sacrifice. Of course, we have, you know, at least as a nation, unity, peace, and progress. Yeah. We, should, we should be some sort of the national consci uh, yes, conscience. Absolutely. So we may have to, as believers, find a way to begin to build those things in, but it has to be true sacrifice. Because at the moment, there's already heat, there's a lot of contention, there's already fight. Fight will not solve it, maybe just with that sacrifice of being like that lamb led to the slaughter that would ultimately pass the message across yeah. to our brothers on the other side that, look, we have to calm down and build this nation together. Wow, thank you so much, Barrister. We show that example through sacrifice. I mean, very strong. Pastor do you have a layer to put on that? Um, so, I was just going to add that we can look at that from two perspectives. One is as a leader who is trying to, how do I fix the problem of a national conscience? Okay. But you also need to look at the, our responsibility as citizens. Mm. Because typically, what we look at is that the government is not doing enough. Now, this is not to excuse them. We know they are not necessarily doing enough. But we ourselves have responsibilities. Christianity calls us to responsible citizenship. And there are two, kind, there are two levels to our citizenship. Um, the first one, obviously, is that uh, God is king. And so, um, like Paul said in Philippians, our citizenship is of heaven. Yeah. But the second thing is the one Christ said when they brought him a coin and he asked them whose face is on the yeah. coin. Render to Caesar what, what is Caesar's. Now, God. every one of us has a role to play in being responsible citizens. Mm. That is how a national conscience can be birthed. Wow. Um, our dear brother, Minister Nelson, is always calling us to be Josephs, to be Daniels, and so on and so forth. A lot of the solutions that can help this nation are within us. Mm. But we tend to say, since they have not played their path, we should not, we, we, we let them be doing their own, we'll be doing our own. But what Christ calls us to is like Minister Mark says, sacrifice, and I believe responsible citizenship. So we need to have a sense of responsibility. Like I said earlier, when Christ was alive yeah. and when most of the scriptures were written, we were being, um, the people were being ruled. Yeah. In a democracy, you have a part to play. Mm. And so it's a government, I know that we don't necessarily experience it in that form, but it's a government of the people by the people. So we need to get involved. We need to be members of parties. We need to influence people that, look, this is the priority for a nation under God. Thank you so much, Pastor Bero. Um, yes, I, I want us to now, we're moving to the second part of, I mean, of our focus for, for this service. And um, I want us to explore some of the things that actually um, bring division, that makes us not to see cl as clearly as we ought to see, and things like that. So we're moving to the area of politics, 
and um, platforms. Um, let me start this way. John 17 records about the last prayer that Jesus prayed for his disciples. And then he prayed for us also. So John 17 is about the prayer of Christ for his disciples. Now, that prayer was on one thing. Unity. The prayer was about unity. Jesus said that they may be one as we are one. He said, I do not only pray for these ones. I also pray for those who will come to me, who will come to you through their word. That is the people they are going to convert and all that. So, he prayed about unity. But oftentimes, believers think that unity means uniformity. For instance, people think unity means we have to, if you are truly a believer, you should be in PDP at this time. With all the things that APC is, APC is doing, you should be in PDP. That's the way, now it may sound funny, but that's the way some people think. Okay? So people feel that that's what we bring into politics and all that. But he said we should unify. In other words, if we are truly unified, no matter how divided we are politically, he expects us to, keep, to still keep the brotherhood, Right? He expects the unconditional love to still exist. Mm. Now, I haven't said that. The first question, uh, Pastor Benro. Christians have different political views. There was a time in the baptizing church, this particular church, if you remember, if you recall, we had someone, a member of this church, who was the national campaign manager for a presidential aspirant. In this same church, there was still another person who was the national campaign manager for another presidential, I mean, national uh, presidential aspirant for another party. In other words, in this same church, we had two people who belonged, who did not only belong to two different political parties, but they were the campaign managers for the number, for the flag bearers of those political parties. And they were members of this church. God help you. Who was the pastor then? <laughs> pastor Dilley. A man of wisdom. Pastor Lee was the pastor then. So the question is this. What are some of the things that shape our political views? Praise God. Uh, the way you took so long, my heart was beating. So <laughs> I need to calm I just back. wanted to provide context. Yes. So um, I think I've spoken a little bit to this earlier in that every righteous man in Christ wants justice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is what we are pursuing. And so, any person who is taking a political position, we need to be looking at where is justice in this thing. Mm. And uh, thank God we have a lawyer here so he can speak more to the justice. But... um, you know, I said it earlier, so I quickly looked up the scripture. In Second Samuel 8.15, yeah. um, it says, So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and equity mm. to all his people. In First Kings 10.9, it says, Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king, that you may execute justice and righteousness. Yeah. Um, Proverbs 29 forces, by justice a king builds up the land, but he who exacts gifts tears it down. So you get a sense that justice is important. Mm. Now, 
the path we typically choose to justice is different. So let me use previous governments so we don't seem to be speaking to the government of the day. But um, the PDB government at the time believed that enabling um, people with things like you win, allowing millionaires to grow around, around, would um, help the nation grow, you understand, economically. Now, the other party, which is the APC, believed that we should help the poor with distributions. That if people can survive day to day, that's how you build the economy. Both of them want to help people. Both of them want the economy to grow. But the parts they've chosen are very, very different. And so, choosing a path to justice is not necessarily right or wrong. Mm -hmm. It's ensuring that yeah. the basis of your decision making is justice and um, righteousness. Mm. So I, I wouldn't want us to dwell too much on which party is right, which party Absolutely. is wrong, but instead on what, are, what is the party pursuing. Mm. And you know there is a difference between saying it and doing it. What happens most of the time is that we have lofty ideals, but wisdom is lacking. Mm. And wisdom is the ability to apply godly instruction in everyday life. Mm. And so, when we are doing things, we say, ah, we want to feed people. But we don't have any arrangements for how the food will be served. How they will line up. How you will prevent people from eating twice. How you will prevent somebody from running away with the whole pot. So, the thing is, we need to ensure that the political views we are holding are godly, which means they are pushing for justice, and that wisdom is available to apply it. Praise God. Wow, thank you so much, Pastor Benro. So our contributions, our participation, acceptance of what goes on in the platform of our choice should be ruled and guided by, um, by our Christian values. That's what you're saying, yes, sir. In, in essence. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Barrister Mark, there's no time, so I'll just move to the next questions. Uh, to the next question. How can we have conversations with believers who have um, opposing views to us? Okay? Opposing polit political views without changing our position. How can we engage in that conversation without changing our position, but we still allow the conversation to take place, right? Is there any value in such conversations? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much uh, for that question. Uh, in fact, um, Pastor Buenos answer to the last question actually answers a lot of this. That the first, the basic is to have it in mind that, look, there's no, in none of these views that God is inside. Mm. So if you have that in your mind, you don't come judgmentally. Telling people that, look, how can you still be in APC with all that has happened? Or you start to say, no, APC is the right place because Cyrus was raised by God. So, you know, so when you leave that mindset of judging and agreeing that one is right, one is wrong, then it makes it easier to say, look, let us engage at the level of your party now. Your party on paper says we want to empower people just yeah. uh, going with this example by helping the poor, a socialist yeah. kind of approach rather than a capitalist approach. So the question we should ask, you know, maybe at that point of engagement, nice, like and like Pastor Benjamin said again, is the wisdom. 
they, from what I see about your party, are your people going to be true and genuine mm. to this thing that they have said on paper? I believe, you know, I will not support your party because I strongly believe your people are not going to be true and, like, you know, and genuine to what they have said on paper. I think these other people might have the chances to be more true because it aligns with their own interests. They are rich people, so they like to empower the rich, and I believe they would actually see it through. Rather, so maybe when you engage like that with that kind of mindset, it, it makes it easier. And like I always tell people, it's always good to try your best to see the other man's position. Once you do that, you become more persuasive. Like I tell people a lot of times, in my engagements with um, people from the other other faith and other part of the country. Uh, you know, when, they, when we say they are trying to dominate us and they are trying to Islamize Nigeria, I agree there's a reason for that fear. But I also ask you, have you also looked at their own viewpoint? Mm. Have you also really considered their own fear that they are being dominated? And I'll give you a practical example. I once had a client who, was, um, who, who is a Muslim, was trying to, you know, uh, move his wife with him out of the country. And one of the requirements that he had to go and do a court marriage. And once you do a court marriage, it means that if he marries his second wife, he commits a crime, and he's seven years in prison. And the man was very bitter about it. And I said, I, I, you know, when as we just think it is normal, that it is right, why should you have more than two wives? But this is the man's conviction. This is what his religion allows him to do. Yeah. But the law of your country says he cannot do his conviction. He cannot do what religion allows him to do. So do we actually see their viewpoint and see that indeed these people are not, are not um, you know, they, they are not, when, when they try to dominate in that sense, maybe it's because they also have that feeling that they are being dominated. So when we have this broader mindset, I think it becomes easier to be more persuasive, to engage people. And then we must know that at the end of the day, look, even the Bible says it. I mean, for instance, Christ said it, that the poor you have with you always. We know that, look, at the end of the day, we won't be able to convert everybody. Some people are going to live and die with their convictions. Yeah. And you cannot force them into your conviction. Neither should you make laws that force them to violate their own conviction. If you can persuade them, fine. If you can't persuade them, then, you know, you just have to also make room for them and let them live. So I think if we, as believers, when we engage with people from different viewpoints. This is the same mindset you should have. That, you know, you, you can't force a person into your conviction. You know, you shouldn't use scriptures, just like we have said here, to now justify your position and then now say, this is why you must be with us and all of that. So, I think if we do it that way, we even become more persuasive to yeah. the person who is not persuaded by our viewpoint. Wow. Thank, thank you so much, Barrister Max. Let's put our hands together uh, for Barrister Max. Uh, two, two things came to mind. The, the first thing that came to mind is that, do you know there was a time in this country that we had a shadow government. So government, we say, this is our policy on economy. The shadow government, they have ministers like we have ministers. Yes. The only thing is that they don't benefit from the pot. Yes. <laughs> they are just doing it on their own. And usually, they are constituted by the opposition party. Now, what they do is that as government is busy coming up with policies on economy, on whatever area, they also are busy discussing arguing and coming up with policies also. So the government of the day has the opportunity of reading mm. or studying their own policies. And so that will help to enrich right, their own policies and at the end of the day who benefits the people. But the second thing, the second thing that came, not but, the second thing, it's a law. There's a man called Rufus Miles. Um, I think they call him Miles Law. That came up when you were talking. The guy said, where you sit is where you stand. Mm. Where you sit is your cultural uh, environment. Yeah. And usually you don't have control over it. Where you were born, when you were born, who raised you, 
what you, the school you attended, and some of these things. These are the things that shaped you, that made you who you are. And oftentimes, we don't have control over that. He said, so when you, that is where you sit. He said, where you stand. So your position on issues, we always come from that place. We always come from that place. Just feel, so let's move on to the last part of this um, conversation. And I think this is the most interesting because it's going to touch on secession. It's going to touch on um, Twitter ban and some of the things that we have witnessed in our nation. We are witnessing in our nation currently at the moment. Um, I want us to look at the issue of patriotism and disobedience. Um, are there limits to patriotism? Uh, um, for instance, we know people commit crime. Is it possible for a nation to commit crime? I've heard things like a rogue nation before. Now, if you explore it, it might mean something slightly different. But I'm saying, is it possible? What I'm really asking is that, is it possible for a nation to come up with an unjust law? Because somebody once said, I can't remember who, he said, an unjust law is no law at all. For instance, in Acts, in, in Acts chapter, is it chapter 5 now? They told them never to preach in the name of Christ again. They did not leave the place. They looked at them and said, judge for yourself. Is it right to obey God or to obey, or to obey you? Right? They didn't mince words. So they knew they were not going to obey, but they didn't keep quiet. Pastor Mero said, we must always speak up. So they didn't hide it. Okay? So the question I'm asking is that, is there a limit? Is there a limit to patriotism? Or is patriotism something that has to be... I'm, I'm looking at you, Barista Max, because you know this. I want you to just give your opinion first, and then Pastor Benro, we, we add to that. Yeah, yeah th thank you very much. Uh, you know, th these are a very interesting question, because, uh, you know, it's, not, you know, it's um, the issue of civil disobedience, you yeah. know, at what point. Because l let me start first from the viewpoint of the law, then I'll try to come back to balance it out and wrap it up. Now, so from the viewpoint of the law, now the law is, in a sense, absolute. But every law recognizes that, look, there's still something bigger than it. Because, yeah, because so, for instance, we say something like, this is what the Constitution says, but there's a spirit of the Constitution. Because we realize the Constitution did not fall from heaven. There's a context from which it arose. So that's why we say, for instance, when we say human rights, we say they are inalienable human rights. That means these rights cannot be alienated. You cannot remove it from a human being. Once a human being is born into the world, this thing comes with him. Whether there's a 99 constitution, whether there's no constitution, whether he's born in the desert, no matter where he's born, mm. these rights cannot be separated from him. Mm. So when it comes to that viewpoint, now when a government makes a law that contradicts that, ah. those inalienable rights, now the courts will tell you that, look, the law of the government cannot stand because this man has a right to self-expression, a right to life, or a right to even hold religious uh, view of his own. So at that point, you know, you can conclude that even law recognizes that he has a boss. There's some, something bigger than law. So it is when, when people do civil disobedience, now that's what they appeal to. The, you know, and for instance, the apostles, that's what they appeal to. They say, look, this is your law now. It's made by you. This is the law. You are the one who can make law in this territory. Yeah. But there's a God who is still higher than you wow. and who you recognize. So his own law supersedes your law. But the only problem with that is, with that same mindset is what anarchists also come to rule. Mm. So anarchists will tell you that this is your law is unjust. So the question is that when it comes to society, how does society balance that from viewpoint of law? Society says, okay, let us have 
an independent arm of government. Mm. The judges who will now tell us who is right. You know, is this law against the law of, you know, the law that is greater than this law or not? But, but unfortunately, those judges are a part of that law. So if the judges also collaborate with them, then it means you are, you are in the a catch. In a, exactly, you are in a situation where you cannot break free yeah. from that from that uh, tyrant. So for instance, say you are caught as a preacher in, in China now. So I think the other side of the coin is simple. When you do civil disobedience, then be ready to go the full mile with your conviction. So mm. you may have to go to jail for it. Mm. So you are going to jail because you have said, look, this law is unjust. I will preach the gospel. Like Pastor Guerrero, I'll still be on Twitter to preach the gospel. So if you want to take me to prison, take me to prison. But what will be wrong is now the day they want to take uh, Pastor Guerrero to prison. Now then, uh, TBC people now carry guns and now start, and start fighting <laughs> police and say, don't take him to, to prison. Because at that point now, we are making the, you know, the nation ungovernable. So there, there is a limit to patriotism in that it's your personal conviction. But I think that limit does not extend to the point of you destroying social, social. order just to justify your position. So wow. I think that is where the limit, you know, stops. Oh, oh, okay, before I come to Pastor Benro, I just want to stay with you a little bit more. Uh, this Twitter ban, yeah. where does it fall? Yeah. Are we, I mean, <laughs> is it one of the things that we can say, no, don't tweet, because yes. they have banned Twitter, mm -hmm. and you can do without it, yes. okay? Yeah. Or is it one of such um, rights mm -hmm. that I was born with, uh -huh. in which case I would say, ah, um, you're asking me not to tweet, but I will tweet. Okay, but before you answer that, you, you mentioned something that brought something else to my mind. You know, somebody, an American was preaching in China. You were the one who brought up yes. the issue of China. He was preaching in China, and it was wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, it was unlawful, unlawful yeah. for you to preach in China, by the way. And people smuggled Bibles. Mm -hmm. So they were only smugglers, mm -hmm. for instance, <laughs> who knew Bible must get to China. Mm -hmm. But the government said, we don't want to see any Bible. So people were smuggling Bible in. And this particular preacher asked them, he said, as we're having our meeting, if the government were to get a wind of this mm -hmm. and we're rounded up and all that, what will happen to me? Mm -hmm. They said, ah, you'll be sent back to your, deported to your country. He now asked them the second question. He said, what will happen to you? He said, we will go to prison for five years. Everybody that came for that meeting knew that they might go to prison for five years, mm -hmm. but they still came. Mm. So the man was like, so the man now thought that it was like preaching in the U.S. or other places mm. that, uh, let me just preach for two hours. Mm. So the guy said, we will wake up in the morning, get to the meeting venue, mm -hmm. and then we will preach from morning till night. Mm. And it's not the kind of preachings you see us preach here. Mm. It's the preach, you pick... Matthew chapter 1. Mm -hmm. Then when you finish Matthew chapter 1, you go to chapter 2, mm -hmm. chapter 3, until you are able to finish the books because they don't have access to Bible. Mm -hmm. Is Twitter, does Twitter fall, Twitter ban, does it fall under my inalienable in, rights right or not? Okay, so let me answer again, you know, from the viewpoint of law. As far as I'm concerned now, this is my opinion as a lawyer. Of course, you can't take this to the bank, so you might need to consult a lawyer and pay before you take action. But as a general opinion, I believe that what the government did, uh, number one, is not exactly... Because there are two sides to the coin. There's okay. Twitter, who should have a right to operate in Nigeria or not. Okay. There's the human being who has a right to use the Twitter service or not. Okay. So I believe even taking at its highest level, what the government did was simply say, look, Twitter will no longer allow you to operate here. But there's nothing that has said Nigerians will no longer allow you to use Twitter. So I believe, you know, that a Nigerian using Twitter is not committing an offense. 
Yes, because the Nigerian constitution is clear, which is what they acted under. It says, look, a person cannot be convicted for an offense except that offense is written in a law. And the punishment for it is also written in a law. Hmm. So until that is done, so far as I'm concerned, there's no offense. But answering it from the other point of view, let us assume that National Assembly now passed a law and says any Nigerian who puts a tweet on Twitter, 14 years jail term or whatever jail term, and there's actually a valid law criminalizing it. So the next question now is that um, uh, should in, uh, you know, at that point now, can you say this is a violation of maybe my right to expression, you know, and I want to preach the gospel. Twitter is the most uh, effective way I can preach the gospel. Again, like I said, it, it boils down to a matter of personal conviction. Mm. You, it, but if you are ready to do it, then be ready to do the time. Paul would go into a place to preach, knowing fully well that they would let him down through the basket. Mm-hmm. He would still go in. Like I said, what is wrong is for a believer to do those things, civil disobedience. And then when the consequence comes, you now want to escape the consequence by destroying the whole social order and creating chaos and anarchy. That would actually be contrary to what you are trying to do because you are trying to ens- you know, entrench, like Boyan said, justice. So that means when the justice is visited upon you, you take it in good faith and you continue preaching from the, gospel, you know, from the jail as much as you can. Awesome, awesome. Can we put our hands together? I mean, that's, that's so awesome. Um, I, I don't know, maybe I should leave it alone. Um, so th- there is this conflict I have um, within me regarding this Twitter ban. You've addressed one part that I, because I, I tweet, I, I still tweet, so I had that understanding. But the second part is where an organization that is admitted to operate in the country is now assuming a status that if care is not taken can actually affect the governance. I mean, don't, don't forget the sentiments we have about this administration. Imagine this administration is well-loved and all that, and then this happens. Okay, that's what I wanted to look at. Now, so from, from that perspective, uh, I think what I'm trying to do is that if you want to bash Twitter, what will you say? No, I, I agree with you because I was also of the opinion, and I'll be sincere. I mean, a lot of people who know, I mean, on our group knows, for instance, when Twitter, you know, clamped down Donald Trump, I was against it. Because for me, what, what I say is that, you know, tyranny comes in different forms and shapes. The truth of the matter is, and what is tyranny? Simply where, you know, a person or an entity can make decisions and there's no independent body to check them. So allowing, so in a sense, and, you know, we have to also be fair, like I said, if we look at it from the viewpoint of the government, that, you know, allowing um, any entity to be unregulated or to self-regulate in a sense that there's no oversight is dangerous because, yeah, it, it could easily go the other way. I mean, and let's be sincere, these platforms, a lot of people have been spewing hate and other things, and maybe the action is not taken at the same level. So if there was some independent body, independent oversight, and which, if we understand it, Government is a social contract. We all came together. Even though we were not born, we were not there, we didn't put our pen paper. But by, you know, the social contract theory says that we all agree that government exercise our powers on behalf of us and force people to carry arms and guns to protect us. And also in the same way also, the government also has to protect us from harmful information. So government is not entirely wrong. But, you know, if we take emotions aside, they're not entirely wrong to say, look, we have to put a check on some of these platforms that are allowed to operate in the country. Just like anybody, you import uh, food products into the country, you have to get a license from NAVDAC just to be sure it is safe for people. You have all the good intentions in the world, but like they say, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Thank you so much, Barista Max. Uh, thank you, everyone. Um, I want to switch things up a little bit. 
um, and just give opportunity uh, to people. To, you I don't know how to, to that. Uh, let, let me put this out <laughs> so that people can decide if they want to. So I want two people to, okay, OJ, I see you clearly. One more person. Okay, thank you. I have my two. I think it's interesting to hear PG on Twitter. <laughs> PG. I've been waiting to hear him on Twitter. So, so um, I agree in... So, sorry, can you yes. hold on? Um, I want you to get the mic across to OJ and um, Mr. Uwuru. Okay. So, I agree with um, Minister Marx, Marx in its entirety. He's right. However, I need to speak to... Um, people using Romans 13. Mm. Romans 13. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. a lot of the time, we bring Romans 13 into the discussion. So, I, I really want you to... Uh, so that every that government know. is a uh, subject... We should all be subject to the government. Government is um, sent by God. I can't quote it yeah, line yeah, for line, yeah, but... We understand it so now. every time there's an issue, they bring it up. Mm. And you have to be careful because... The antecedents of bringing up that scripture are not good. Wow. Now, it was used to defend um, apartheid in South Africa. Yeah. It was used to defend the killing slavery. of the Jews. Yeah. It was used to defend slavery. slavery. Yeah. So, anytime somebody quotes it, you know the person has an agenda. Mm. Now, this is not a question of the fallibility of scripture. That's yeah. not what I'm saying. Yeah. But I cannot, as a pastor be doing wrong, and then be quoting touch not my anointed. <laughs> That's not how it works. You understand? You, it's not a get out of jail free card for when you do something wrong. Now, wow. a lot of the time, it is used to distract from how unjust what you are doing is. Mm. Now, if you look at it, right, the law is an expression of God's will. Mm. I wrote it down, but God's will is higher than any law. So you now have to situate yourself in between what does the law say and what is God's will. Amen. If you are on doing God's will, then the law is secondary. Mm -hmm. Obviously, like Minister Mark said, don't go and cause anarchy and things like that. Be ready to deal with the consequences. But you have to realize that your authority level, this is God, this is the law. Mm. Mm. Now, if you are confused about what God says and you start doing the wrong thing, then the law will apply to you. So Romans 13 was, you also have to, all of us, are, we've done our uh, school of ministry. So we know that every law is written in a context. Mm. Now, That's when true. Romans 13 was written, it was written to Christians in Rome. Yeah. Now, there's the possibility that the Romans will pick the letter on the way. And read it. <laughs> so there's a passage there that they will read. They will say, ah, this poor guy is correct. But you read the entire thing yeah. and you have an understanding of what the instructions are. Yeah. Now, Pastor Tokpe quoted that an unjust law is no law at all. That was MLK. Yeah. Now, when Hitler started to kill Jews, there was a guy named Bonhoeffer who was with Bonhoeffer. him. Bonhoeffer told him it was wrong. They quoted Romans 13 to him. Wow. And it, Bonhoeffer told them, and I wrote that down as well. He says, no state, that is no country, yeah. is entitled to read Paul's word as a justification of his own existence. Wow. 
Because Paul wrote to a church, it is bad behavior to put yourself as the person the thing was written for. Praise God. Amen. Thank you so much, PG. Um, OJ. OJ, how was the protest yesterday? <laughs> he went to us. <laughs> so I want to speak to, um, I want to piggyback a bit to what he said about how to awaken consciousness, national, national consciousness. I think I'll give an example. In the past, kings used to answer to the Pope and to the regional heads of churches at that time. What has changed? We have not conceptualized that at this time. I think the pulpit is a very good vehicle for, for that particular conscience, consciousness awakening. I think if pastors begin to encourage people and say, evil tribes when good people do nothing, you have to have a voter's card. I'm not going to tell you who to vote, but you must participate. Even if you won't join a political party, participate in the process. It is because we are not participating, that is why we are having leaders that will just wake up, forget that there's VPN and how to bypass all these things and ban Twitter. That's why we will wake up and, and we have leaders who do not actually understand that youths are actually hardworking. Yeah. Like the conductor that was telling Buhari, you say I'm lazy, see me, I wake up at 4 a.m. every day, I'm a conductor. Mm -hmm. So I think the pulpit is one, one vehicle we should really look at to get more people awakened in their conscience. Thank you. Thank you, OJ. You don't serve me my own. <laughs> I, I heard you loud and clear. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Oworu. I will allow a lady, not another guy, is there any lady that wants to contribute or ask? Okay, um, it's just a question um, from how Pastor Benio actually defined what a Christian is. Like, Christian is someone with vocal. Um, just be, for us to be able to start a balance between who a Christian is and someone with vocal and um, some of the things that Barrister Max um, has said as um, being a responsible citizen. How do we marry the two? Um, well, I've actually been a nationalistic um, person, all true. I mean, but my viewpoints maybe in the last 10 years actually kept changing, wow. you know. Um, so um, how do we balance um, being vocal, you know, because um, in the last, okay, let me use the NSAS protest as yes. an example. You know, um, Nigerians were trying to be vocal, you know, um, what was trying to be happen, what was going to happen yesterday was trying to be well. In my perspective, was yeah. another example of being vocal. Yes, because um, Newton said all things will mean the permanent state of essence step if force is applied. So if you marry the two together, how can we balance being vocal and being a responsible citizen? That's one part. Then the second one is um, there is really an interplay between. Um, politics. We've talked a lot about politics and economy. Yeah. You know, um, in being social, I mean, of course, like what Samak said too, um, the government is a social contract. So there is an interplay between um, the social society, politics, and economy. Yeah. How do we also um, balance being a responsible citizen? You know, in the politics, for example, 
Um, during the last election, a lot of people did not vote for this government, saying, okay, this is a government, uh, this is a Muslim, you know. Um, but if actually you've been to some other places, say, for example, Malaysia, mm -hmm. you know, um, but like Pastor Daly will always say that um, righteousness that actually God talked about is not. is not the righteousness of carrying Faith. the Bible, is actually doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. So how do we also balance righteousness? I mean, okay, we have a candidate now that is not actually wearing the collar yeah. or professing our faith as it. How do we balance between politics and religion? I think that's my second question. Thank you, sir. Thank, thank you very much, Mr. Oworu. Uh, why are you pointing? <laughs> he mentioned your name and Barrister Mark's name specifically. And, uh, now, it is strange that when um, people want to board a plane, they don't ask, this pilot, mm. is, it, is he a Muslim or a Christian? When they want to go to the theater, thank you so much, Mr. I mean, when they want to go to the theater to be operated upon, um, and they said the best job, the best surgeon is Alaji SS Shaba. That's my dad. He's not a, he's not a surgeon. He's a farmer. <laughs> okay. But they said the person is Alaji, but he's the best person in this. You say, oh, he's the best. Okay. Okay. But when it comes to other contexts, people want to apply a different law. And all that. I, I mean, I, I don't think that is, that is right. Now, you have already spoken to the fact that the righteousness that exalts a nation is that of doing the right things. One of the things that has come up, I mean, that we have, you, you've brought out from different questions that you were asked is that someone who promotes fairness, someone who promotes justice, and maybe someone who has integrity. Yeah. Now, when you look out for these traits, you are not looking at, is he a Muslim, is he a Christian? Mm. Because that, is, that may land us in trouble. Mm. That may land us in trouble. Okay? So what you are looking at are those principles. Mm. Now, you were the one who said that, or were you the one or Pastor Benro, that there is no nation that promotes the cause of Christ? Yeah. Who said that? Yes, no no nation, no system yeah. promotes the cause of Christ. Yeah. So what we are looking at is that which of this system actually supports the plight of the poor, ensures that there, there is justice for everyone, and ensures that there is, I mean, righteousness exists within the borders. I, I think I will just allow you to, to directly respond to okay. the two questions yeah, yeah, th asked. Thank you, yeah, because the two questions actually and what you just said now has brought a theme which I want to touch on. OJ mentioned the fact that there was a time that kings answered to the Pope and all. And um, based on what I said before, there's no human system mm. that will ever promote the gospel. Wow. That's, we must know that because the world, as far as we are concerned, Adam sold the world to the devil. Yeah. So the world and the system, and that's why the revelation says that this world and all the systems will be rolled up and burnt up completely. Yeah. There's nothing redeemable about it. Yeah. Nothing. Wow. God will not use anything that is here. All these are our systems, <laughs> democracy, capitalism, socialism, open economy, closed economy, all of it will be burnt up and sent away. It's not, God will not use it. So, and let me answer that. Let me talk about that issue of um, when kings and all politics was subject to religion. It was the darkest hour of the church. Absolutely. That was when they burned people at the stake. That yeah. was when they killed, uh, is it William Tyndale, who mm. translated the Bible to English. Because he said, look, let the Bible be in Latin. Let the common man not know it because mm. he will misinterpret it. Let us just keep it holy and sacred for a few people. And then those people will come and tell you, buy indulgences. Your mother yeah. died last week. Yeah. Uh, so come and give us some money so that our soul will be released yeah, into a place. And also, any time that we try to use state power to propagate the gospel, that is the worst mistake that wow. we can make. We must just know that it will never happen. The kingdoms of this world will never, never. And that is why they will be burnt up. 
So if we have that in the back of our mind, when we approach these issues, we are not approaching it from the viewpoint of saying, uh, maybe the socialist system helps because God is socialist, he's a king, and he has subject to say, no, democracy helps because he's three in one person, so there's voting there. If two people agree, no, 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 no. None of it. No. So if we have that in the back of our mind, every time we approach politics, we always come from that viewpoint of, look, everything these people are saying is wrong. But in love, I will speak the truth to them in love. Mm. I will try to see how we can come in. Which system can, you know, help other people? Not the, not the gospel or not, neither will it help me. It's just that how will it help other people? That's, I think that, that mindset is the best. Thank you so much. Praise wow. God. So I want to do a Joro and give you my description of a candidate. Because anytime, we have discussions in Men of Influence a lot. And so... Um, when we are describing um, people, politicians, we always weigh them, either consciously or unconsciously. So I actually noted this down just to share. Psalm 72, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 12 to 14. I'll read the two, and then you can now look at whoever your candidate is for 2023 and see if he matches. So number one, it's like, it starts, it's a psalm of Solomon. It says, give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. He will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Now, if we go to verse 12, it says, for he will deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also, and him who has no helper. He will spare the poor and the needy and will save the souls of the needy. He will redeem their life from oppression and violence. And precious shall be their blood in his sight. Say la. Wow. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Did you write down the Psalms? I think Mr. Nelson. Okay. Mr. Nelson has Minister Nelson, um, Christine, and then Barista Ozezi. Please, you have um, one. Please keep it to one minute. Um, yes, just so really quickly. Um, I, I live in the U.S., so, I mean, obviously I'm an American, and I think what's happening in the U.S. is really a cautionary tale for um, countries like, you know, Nigeria and other nations. Um, being an American, now living in Nigeria, I see a lot of uh, parallels with regard to how our political system works mm. and how the Nigerian political system works. Whatever is APCTU and you know PDP yeah. is really the Democrats and the Republicans mm. in the US. Um, so I, I really appreciate, number one, the discussion that's, that's transpiring. And um, I agree with what Pastor Barrow had said that, you know, as Christians, I mean, I agree with what all of you are saying, yeah. but that um, as Christians, true believers, Bible-believing, uh, you know, Christians, we have a responsibility to be vocal. Mm. Um, the U.S. wasn't always the way it is mm. now, and I'm seeing the decline. I, I was born and raised in the U.S., so I'm seeing the decline of my nation in terms of from a cultural and social standpoint that they're teaching, they're basically corrupting mm. the children who are supposed to be the future leaders of tomorrow, and truly the generation that I believe will be, you know, um, 
one of the generations across the nations that are going to be responsible for the billion soul harvest. So I believe that in the darkness that's transpiring in the U.S. right now, a great awakening is going to happen. And I feel that that great awakening is not just for the U.S., but it's for the nations. So I think now, as the times get even darker and darker, I believe it's an opportunity for us to shine brighter and brighter as Christians, you know, as truly the only, there is no political solution to what the nations are going through right now. Jesus is the only solution that we have. So I think, I, 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 I think um, in terms of who you choose, now let's get back to the practical solution and the politics of everything, is that the, 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 uh, the, the folly of the Americans during this election is really that they didn't invest and do the research yeah. into the leaders that they were truly voting for. Those who voted for the current president are now regretting the fact that they voted for the current president because they allowed the mainstream media um, and sound bites to dictate their political options yeah. and their political choices. As Christians, we have the wisdom of Christ living, moving, and breathing inside of us. We have a responsibility to do our own research and to be guided not only by the principles of our faith, but by the wisdom that God gives us to understand who it is truly that you are voting for. Are they not, I mean, forget that they, that they you know, are, are tweeting or, yeah. you know, maybe their character is a little bit abrasive, but are they standing for the principles of, of right to life? Are they standing for the principles of helping the poor, you know, making sure that the people who have no voice have a voice in them? So these are the things that I just want to say that now that the elections in 2023 are coming up, Every Nigerian has an opportunity. One Nigerian can change the face of the entire country. Just as, just as in, in the US, if the Christians, truly Christians who are following Christ, if we said to ourselves, there is no separation between church and state, our country would be in a, in a, in a very different status than it is now. Thank you very much, Christine. That's great. Minister Okona. Thank you, Pastor. I would like by saying that uh, C.S. Lewis advised that the world is not a hotel or a prison. <laughs> that if one makes the mistake of thinking that it's a hotel, one will be uh, greatly disappointed. Mm. And if one thinks it's a hotel, um, a prison, one, you know, won't have the best of the experience. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes we come at this issue of politics and governance as if the world will ever be a hotel. Mm -hmm. It's not a hotel. That's the first point. So things may never really get great. Mm. So, but it's about us. I think we are called to disciple the nations yeah. and not necessarily to save the world. Glory. So if we come at it from that perspective, uh, the question is how am I, how should I as a Christian interact with this world, either good or bad? Assuming we have, assuming we have a monarchy like Saudi Arabia, UAE, where you can't really change much, mm -hmm. how would you interact with that system? We just happen to have a democracy that we can, you know, make comment. But assuming you don't have a democracy, mm. so I think that I asked myself this question several times, uh, several weeks ago. That assuming God wants to save Nigeria, assuming, because a lot of times we pray as if He doesn't want to save Nigeria. We're just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> trying to convince Him to come and do something. But assuming He does want to make a difference, how would He go about it? Mm. And. As a church, we have the mind of Christ. So we should know how God goes about it. And reading the scripture, is clear that how God intervenes in political affairs is that you have one person representing him standing before the king. Yeah. Either as Joseph, as a Daniel, there must be one person that knows the mind of God 
standing before the king. The question is this. How would that person get there? Mm. person has to stand up one day, make up their mind, and say, I have something to say to the king. Mm. Have we done that? Mm. The answer is no. We haven't. The reason why we haven't is that we are like Matthew. Mm. We say, what are these among so many? Mm. Jesus asks them, feed them. They are hungry. And we're like, what are these among so many? So we look at the challenges and disqualify ourselves. And I'm emphatic about it that the problem with Nigeria is not Buhari. I do not be the person after Buhari. I was not Jonathan. Nigeria's problem is that those who should stand before the king are not standing before the wow. king. That to me is the solution. Until we take that personal responsibility and know that God has gone ahead of us. Because remember, God wants to save Nigeria. Mm. So knowing that mindset that he has gone ahead of me, I must go and engage the system. Like she said about the educational system, those guys who are deliberate in the U.S., they capture the legal system, capture the educational system, and mm. what we have is an after effect of those victories. Mm. If we don't do same in our, in our nation, we will be here, and it will indeed be Islamized. If we don't take that deliberate effort. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, Barista Ozezi. Yes. One minute. Praise God. Hallelujah. Uh, I want to appreciate the panelists for what they have said. I just want to, yeah, they've spoken very well. Uh, I just want to ask a question, I think for maybe for the benefit of all of us all, and if possible, a comment, mm. if there is time. But what I want to say is this. Now, Pastor, Pastor you said you've made mention of uh, having a sense of uh, right or wrong, and uh, Barrister Max talked about uh, national conscience should be by sacrifice and uh, mm. uh, Pastor Benro talked about citizenship uh, citizenship is of heaven I just try to yeah. get, got, get one or two things but I want to ask a question and the question is this now as it is now there are agitations everywhere in the country people are afraid, people cannot even go to farms, there is fear everywhere and now even our president is saying that please rise up and defend yourself the governors are saying, please rise up and defend yourself. And now, I traveled the other day to some, a, a part of the east in a, in a remote village, and uh, somebody was telling me, an indigenous was saying that uh, this, this our village is surrounded by headsmen and all that, and we don't know what may happen next. Now, the issue is this. The Constitution has provided that you have a right to, to defend yourself, a right to defend yourself. Now, a situation where you have this right to the Constitution has provided, and you have an opportunity to really defend yourself and you, you have a family and there is an attack and you have the opportunity to defend yourself. Will it be right as a Christian where you are able to attack and kill somebody and you now ask whether I have killed somebody, am I right before God to have killed somebody? But you are just defending yourself and in the course of trying to defend yourself, you've killed somebody or a situation where a military man who is a military man is given an order and he doesn't want a situation of mutiny. He goes ahead and carry out order because, of course, you know, in military, what did they say? They call it obedience is the last. I mean, command. Obey the last command, as it were. And the military man doesn't want to, doesn't want to kill, and he knows that this is contrary to his conscience. Because I know pastor have talked about conscience. This is contrary to his conscience. But your superior has given you an order to kill somebody, and you go ahead to kill somebody. 
And I remember you also said that does can a nation commit a crime? Who then commits a crime at that instance? I want that question to be cleared. And then, in addition to what Barrister Mark said, this is my own opinion. Even if Twitter has been banned, and then uh, there is a legislation by the National Assembly mm. to say, okay, uh, uh, no more tweeting. And then if you tweet, you you you'll be subject to this law maybe for 14 years. Now the issue is that if that is done, you still have the right to freedom of expression, freedom to disseminate information where it is contrary to the constitution because the constitution of course is the grom norm. So if it's contrary to the grom norm, of course it will be tested in court. That is just my, my own opinion. My wow, own. thank you so much. Thank you. So we'll take Minister Morris before we start responding to the questions. Good morning, church. Um, quickly, I would, um, uh, mine is a very different thing. Um, uh, something from what um, PG said. PG made mention about um, uh, being vocal, that Christians must be vocal. Mars, um, tried, uh, Mars comment was um, about responsibility. Um, but um, I just wanted to bring another dimension to it, that in, in the midst of this, we are also people of wisdom. Mm. And I want to be specific yes. with this. Uh, with what is happening, a lot of people have been saying the vice president is a pastor, mm. is a born again, he should resign, he should mm. be vocal in the situation of things, in the midst of the situation, he should be vocal. Um, but um, the balance there is that we are people of wisdom. Mm. He's not resigning because he's, he's not vocal. He's not resigning because um, he's not responsible. Not but the fact is that um, not because... Okay, not because, yes, yes, sorry for that. Um, what, what I'm trying to say is that we always allow the wisdom of God to direct us. Mm. And um, a lot of people have talked about that wisdom. I find out that in some situations and instances that he's been allowed to act, I'm not holding breath for him, but I'm trying to draw something there yeah. that you could see how firm, you could see how he was able to judge righteously. So when we have those situations, even if you want to protest, nobody's going to allow you, nobody's going to deny you. Um, uh, you have to protest. But the protest also has to be, um, it must be constructive. That's what I'm going. It must, you can't just, yes, yesterday was June 12. A lot of people were, went out to protest. But what are you protesting? And it takes me to um, the issue of NSAX too. Um, of course, I supported that. But at some point, I stopped supporting that because I believe that there were things we were campaigning for and when those things were purportedly uh, being, uh, of, course, <laughs> of course, we all know what happened. But what I'm trying to say is that in each of our engagement and in being um, responsible citizens, we must apply the wisdom of God. That's what I'm trying to say. God, that's um, what I'm trying to say. That wisdom must be there. And let us, because it's, the notion is everywhere about the vice president being a Christian and why he must be vocal, why he must be heard. Let us also know that it's not that he's not, he's not scared, it's not that he's not vocal, but the fact is that when that opportunity presents himself as a child of God and as someone of the spirit, he will react. Thank you very much. Um, okay, so I, I will just take uh, the last part of what um, Barista Uzezi mentioned. Um, I've, I think I've addressed it once, and I'll just reiterate that, and I will allow you to address the other questions that he asked. Now, if they are coming to attack me and my family, um, 
If I don't have AK-47, I should have a big spatula or something <laughs> close to that or something close to a club to defend my family. That's my opening statement. <laughs> Let me explain something. I, I was invited to train in one of the, I mean, Youth for Christ, I, I belong to Youth for Christ. So I was asked, so somebody asked me a question. I think we're talking about evangelism and things like that. So the person said that there was a time in the north that people gather, people of the other religion, they gather together, okay, somewhere, I think they were having a meeting, and the place caved in, and a number of people died. And that there was jubilation among Christians. What exactly were they jubilating about? Because people died. And the people that died were not Christians, and they were jubilating. <laughs> the number one thing that came to my mind when that question was asked is that those believers jubilating are actually, were actually lost. A believer does, that does not consciously seek the lost is lost himself. That's the truth. So let me balance it for you. So they were jubilating. The reason why we have not seen the end of Boko Haram. Oh, have you seen the end of Boko Haram? Oh, I thought we've seen the end of Boko Haram. It's, it's swap. That. <laughs> okay, I don't know. I don't know. That's not the argument. But the reason why, um, what do you call what they do? Terrorism has not been brought to an end. It's largely because those that have been raised up, Minister Nelson raised a very important thing that there will never be El Dorado, mm -hmm. but we are supposed to rise to the occasion mm -hmm. and be counted mm -hmm. as believers for the sake of the people. Mm -hmm. Now, having said that, in the north, we should be the one funding the education of those guys. Mm -hmm. We should be the one rising up to ensure that the schools that, are not, that do not have teachers and all that, they have teachers. We, we should be at the vanguard of ensuring that let me, let me, let's be blunt, that Muslim children and all this Almagiri and the rest you, you call it, they have good education. Yeah. We should be the one at the forefront because that's the message of the kingdom. Yeah. But you know what we do? It serves them right. Yeah. Uh, in fact, when they bomb the, the school, you are happy. Yeah. And all that. That is against the message that Christ has given to us. If we don't, remember he said that we must demonstrate this message. This message is not to be spoken. It's to be demonstrated through sacrifice. Yes, through sacrifice. The scripture says some, some of us have not resisted to the point of shedding of blood. These things are critical. He said if there should be a suicide bomber, it should not be someone who is not sure where he's going. It must be us that are sure of where we are going. So we are not afraid to die. I'm passionate about these things because I'm going somewhere. So we are doing all these things, mobilizing resources from the west, taking them to the north, and building the place. Not minding the fact that they are trying to draw that line of disparity between Fulani, the Aousa, the west, east, and not minding all those cacophonic sounds, but doing the will of God. Pastor Benro said, the will of God is here. Government and everything, they are here. Having said that, they are advancing towards your house. Mm. Your children and your wife, they are there. Mm. Look for the very good weapon mm. and do and defend your family. Yeah. When you finish defending your family, the ones that did not die, that only got injured because of your club, 
go beside their bed and preach the gospel of Christ to them. <laughs> I'm saying that deliberately because I want you to know what is really going on. You must defend your, you must defend your family. If you can't defend, you must defend, you must stand up to your family and do that. Now, let me bring the other, way, the other side to it. You are not evangelizing and then they raise clothes, they say deny Christ. That's not the situation here. The situation here is not that you are in, you are in behind the enemy lines, maybe in China, yeah. and you are preaching the gospel, mm. and then you are apprehended, and you, then you are trying to fight for yourself. You know that's not what we are talking about. Yeah. What we are talking about is different. Do you get what I'm saying? So you must, these issues must be so clear in your heart. What must never be affected? Bitterness, hatred, and all those things must never be in your heart. Mm. Must never be in your heart. So defend your family, but when you finish defending your family, do not join the people that said that, see the way they are killing us. In fact, let us mobilize and all that. No, you can't do that. You are a believer. Can you see the balance of what I'm trying to bring? That is who a believer is. So people, the world will now be confused. Uh -uh. This guy that we killed his brother because he was preaching the gospel, he did not retaliate. There was no reprisal attack. But the, the way they were advancing towards his house, he put all of them, he gunned all of them down. The world will be confused. What is really going on? And then they will pay attention. They will pay attention to the message and to who we truly are. But this has not been going on. What has been going on is that we have been spreading hatred. We have been mobilizing. Christians have been arming. have been doing all sorts of things. And they are aware of these things. So we are not different from the culture that we have been called to replace. Please, uh, the, the other two things that he raised... Uh, yes, if you can address, then if you still remember. <laughs> yes, okay. Uh, th thank you. I mean, uh, Pastor, you've covered a lot of ground. It's, um, I'm very happy about these discussions because, like I said, even for myself, a lot of times, sometimes I, I, I intervene or I make uh, posts on issues of this, and later I rebuke myself because I see mm. that, look, okay, man of God, this was just your emotion speaking yeah. purely, you know, that self-preservation, that, that, that thinking. But... One of the issues I want to address is what um, uh, Minister Mori said, which I think is very important, mm. and it ties to what um, uh, Minister Nelson has also said, that there's always that, because when it comes to, even if you read the Bible, you see a lot of times that uh, God, because, you, you know, when a person is the king, you know, the king himself, he's subject to a lot of influences. Mm. So a lot of times, even if you see the, the scriptures, a lot of times is the, the, God will use somebody beside the king mm. to influence the king, to bring in his own counsel to the king. So, Mr. Nelson is absolutely spot on when he says um, the, the failure we have had in this country is because those people, the cup bearers who should be there before the king pleading the cause of righteousness are actually there. not there. You know, and it's also a lot of times because like right, it's also this mindset of what is this among so many? You know, we think who am I among so many? What, what difference can I make? And, and all of that. So, uh, tying it to what um, uh, uh, Mr. Morris also raised about the issue of a lot of Christians now getting angry and saying, oh, the vice president deceived us. He allowed them to use his name, to use his faith, to deceive us. You know, and tell people, look, that, 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 that's not really, because let's also say there's, there's another Christian attribute we want him to violate. We want him to become disloyal mm. in a government that he's serving, which I think is also very unchristian. Yes, yeah, sometimes he may keep quiet. If he gets to a point, I believe yeah, there's a point he would get to, and maybe if his conviction can no longer take it, he may resign peacefully. But to stay in that government and begin to fight, and become, you know, a rebel within the government it's is not. totally, you know, anti-Christ. That's not part of what we are called to do mm. when we are in the system. And I also tell people, for instance, now, if you say you should resign, 
then the, what you are seeing is that there's already darkness. There's one small light in that darkness which is shining onto that brighter day. You don't want that light to be taken away so that utter darkness will not take over. So I think we need to balance these things. There's a light. Let us support that light. Pray for the man. Let the wisdom continue to be with him and you know, let, let God use him in the way he can use him. But to say he should just leave or to become disloyal outrightly, you know, I think those are, you know, contrary th to th what thank you so much. we are saying. Yeah, thank you so much. So, PG, I mean, I have something else, something else for you. But what I would just add to it is that in the course of studying for this, I came across something that is um, called fundamental attribution error. Mm. The, the, the cognitive bias that we have that makes us to judge people. So, somebody is late, mm. and you say that is the way the person is. Mm. That is late because is this, is that. And then you, you look at the action of the person and you, you attribute it to who the person is. Mm. But when you are late, mm. you said, I am late because despite all the effort I made. So you, you give conditions for why you do what you do. Mm. But when it comes to another person, you, ext I mean, you remove yourself from that mm. and then you judge them based on their actions. I think most of the times when we are making comments or analyzing the vice president and things like that, mm. that is what we do. Yeah. That is what we do. And I, I don't think it's good at all. Mm. Because what now happens is that you want people to judge you fairly personally, but when you look at another person, you are, not, you are judging them unfairly. And I don't think it's good at all. Pastor Benro, this is the final, um, I, I want you to, your final thought on what we have been discussing. And also I want us to touch on the issue of um, the, this agitation for self-determination. I mean, very, very critical. The reason why it's important is that people may keep quiet in church, but they are secret followers, just like Nicodemus, of, um, of these people. Some don't really say much about it, but they, somewhere at the back of their mind, they're like, will it work? This may work, and all that. So believers don't really know how to respond. So imagine I'm an Igbo person. I'm from the East. Now, I'm not talking about someone like Pastor, uh, Minister Nelson, mm -hmm. but an average uh, believer from the East. I served in the East, by the way. I served in one local place. So I understood what was going on. Every question I asked about national issues, they didn't know. But because I'd read, I'd read the Mecca, I've read my command, I've read all the books that are available on Biafra Wall and all that. Every question I asked about 1967, in fact, from 1966 to 1970, the civil war in Nigeria and all those things, they, they gave me accurate answers. Mm. Now, that tells me something. These were 12, 13, and 14-year-olds mm. in the East. I served in 2003, 2004. That was when I served. Now, imagine that time. They gave me accurate answers. Who was the IGP of Nigeria? They did not know. Mm. Who was this of Nigeria? They did not know. But they had accurate information. That tells you that there has been this selective, um, borrow me words, selective um, indoctrination of people. The 14-year-olds that time, they are now married. Mm. They are now married. They are now settled. And guess what? Some of them are in the East. Some are in the West. Some are in other parts of the nation. And they are believers. What do you want them to think, Pastor Benro? How, how do we engage this movement? You know, this self-determination. How do we, what, how should we see it? How should we see it? You know, because these are the questions in the hearts of people. My, <laughs> Femi will bear me witness. My mom, my own mom, 
when we are praying and we are doing something about Nigeria, it's like, what is it? Yoruba nation. Yoruba nation. My own mom. I said, I sat down and I explained. I said, forget it. We are going. Oh, do, do. Enough is enough. They are killing us. They are doing that. And her reasons was this. She knew people that were hacked down. She knew people that were lost. She knew people that died. Should we allow this emotion to dictate whether or not we accept this? Or is there a higher law? that we need to subscribe to mm. with, I mean, with this movement? Um, I don't have a yes or no answer. <laughs> okay. So, but let me say a number of things. The first one is that we've dealt with this when we're doing our relationship series. Mm. Anger is a God-given emotion. Mm. Mm. And most of the time, it's a response to injustice, either perceived or real. Mm. Mm. So, if you see somebody beating a child anyhow on the road, you will pack. And you will say, ah, you won't kill him. Yeah. So, the anger you have is not right or wrong. Mm. Mm. Now, what you do with it mm. is what can now be a sin yeah. or not. Yeah. Now, with that in mind, the requests or the agitation for yeah. self-determination is not wrong in itself. Okay. Mm both politically, ideologically, or mentally. Mm. It's not wrong in itself. And we have, because I had to, I, I'm thinking about it, it's hard to point out, you know, a biblical yeah. secession. Mm. Yeah. But we know that unity is useful. Mm. Mm -hmm. When we were reading in the Old Testament, when God came to Babel, he said that if these people are united like this, there's nothing, nothing they cannot do. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And so there's a quality that we can gain from being united. Mm. There's also the place of where we realize that Lot's headsmen, you see, there were headsmen in the Bible. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> Lot's headsmen were fighting, fighting with Abraham's headsmen. Mm. And Abraham said that it's not good that we should be fighting. Mm. Come and be going. And he now even gave him the choice to choose the best part. But we know Abraham was a man of God. Yeah. So, essentially, what I'm saying is that the conversation is not wrong. Mm -hmm. The intention is not wrong. Mm -hmm. And if it is indeed the end we will get to, there should be a safe um, on a safe way to get there without bloodshed, mm -hmm. without destabilizing the nation, without anarchy. Mm -hmm. And so, whatever path we are going, either we are actually um, seceding or not, there should be a good way to do it. We can't, in the quest of getting um, a result we want, begin to commit sin. So, my position on that is based on, situated somewhere in the middle there. Okay. That if you are agitating for this, there are constitutional ways to protest. And based on that, you can have an end in mind. Okay. And the same way, if you want us to stay together, it should not be by force. Mm. There should be equal, like, conversations around getting us to where we want to go. Praise okay. Th thank you so much, Pastor Benro. Um, 
Um, your final thoughts, Barrister Max, but let me just add this to it. Can, can we actually be what has been described as um, like innocent bystander or unaffected bystander? What I mean by that is this. So you are from Benway, for instance. Um, you may decide not to join Biafra. I don't know. They, but they may draw their map to include your area. But the point I'm trying to make is this, that IPOB, ESN, Odudua Republic, and the rest of it. You are not a Yoruba man. You are not Igbo and all that. So somehow, you are not affected directly. Right? So it's possible. Are we allowed as believers that these things are going on in our nation to just be um, silent about it, to be unengaging about it? As in, it doesn't really affect us. We may be part of um, uh, those conversations and all that, but we don't really think that we should engage more constructively to see if we can contribute to what's a resolution. You, you understand what yeah. I'm talking about? Yeah. I just wanted to speak to that um, a little bit as we wrap up. Okay, yeah. thank you very much. And just to say, you know, the answer Pastor Gwenru gave earlier, and I mean, I was, you know, I saw that question beforehand, yeah. and genuinely, I did not know how to answer it. Do we support <laughs> it all? But Pastor Gwenru's answer, you know, for me, settled a lot of things. You know, wow. the approach he came from, I 100%, you know, agree with that. So, um, we have said one thing here, which is an answer to the question to me now, which is that as a Christian, you cannot afford to be quiet. You have to be vocal on yeah. these issues. Now, Pastor Guerrero says something which I think is also very important, that yes, um, Nigeria is not by force, mm. but there's also the edge that unity gives us. Mm. There's also a place Nigeria holds in the jigsaw puzzle, because I mean, the Bible says in Matthew that, you know, um, you know this age will not end until this gospel is preached. Yes. You know, and I think Nigeria holds that unique place where, 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 the, where Islam and Christianity actually meet perfectly. So it's a unique place to propagate the gospel from. We have an enterprising people, a huge population, ready to spread all over and export the gospel, just like the Jews, you know, yeah. who had gathered in Jerusalem and were dispersed abroad. So I think there's a unique edge that Nigeria has, which I believe in the grand scheme of things would be useful to the gospel. I mean, if Nigeria fails... I know God would always have, you know, some other way you'd go about it. So, staying together and being united is very important. So, I believe at this point, when we look at all the cards on the table, mm. we know that, look, there's never, I mean, constitutionally, for instance, there's no provision in our constitution for secession. Mm. Like, Ethiopia has a provision that says it clearly. If you say you don't want anymore, this is the procedure you can follow and leave us. Oh. But in Nigeria, we don't have. So, it means if there's going to be a split up of Nigeria, there must be either violence, there may be negotiations, but... We know clearly that from what we see, it's difficult for them to be in negotiation. So, mm. I would say as a believer at this point in Nigeria, you can't afford to, to think that, okay, because I'm from somewhere, maybe I'm from FCT, for instance. Yeah. So, even if Odudua is going, they are going. If Biafra is going, they are going. If uh, Arewa is going, they are going. But, you know, you are going to be affected at the end of the day. So, I think there's no room to just be quiet at this point. And for me, this is a personal opinion, yeah. you know, I mean, everybody has to be persuaded. And for me, I believe that we must be that voice of moderation at this point. Mm. Because we see the handwriting clearly mm. on the wall. This thing is going to be bloody. It's going to be violent. We can become another Libya where nobody's going to have peace, you know, for, for a long time. So I think at this point, as a believer, we must become that voice of moderation. We have to just find a way to douse tensions at this time and, you know, just find a peaceful way. Because otherwise, 
the result might really be bad for everyone concerned. And like I always say, it's not even from the viewpoint of myself or from you know fellow believers like me. Worst case, you know, the thing happens, we go to heaven, we sing praises, and we are good to go. But what about the other people? So I think we just need to look at it from that viewpoint and really de-escalate tensions as much as we can and not stand aloof and unaffected. We must get involved in this matter and be vocal. Wow, wow, wow. Can we put our hands together for Pastor Benro and Barrister Max? Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your thought-provoking responses to the questions. We love you. Yes, you, you may. Can I have the, the pulpit? Just give me like two minutes to conclude what we have been discussing. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. said something, and I want to quote him. Many years ago, Martin Luther was a man who had the choice of picking up arms to fight for the rights of the black people. He was a minister. Every other minister were busy in their churches, preaching and doing deliverance. I'm, I'm having my own. Doing deliverance and everything. Every other preacher were busy casting out demons and doing all those things. Those things are very important. After all, Christ sent us with it. Do you know what we are doing this morning? Some people feel that it might not be. Why are you doing this on Sunday? Why is it important? They have no idea that if Nigeria should blow up, nobody, there won't be church. That your ministry that is starting, that is just budding, you know, starting, there won't be anything like that. Let me quote Martin Luther. He said, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly, affects all indirectly. That's exactly what you said, Barista Max. Thank you so much for this. This is my conclusion. I have two scriptures, and then I have three, um, three concepts that I want us to focus our attention on. The first scripture is taken from Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, message translation. In Christ's family, there can be no division into Jew and non-Jew, slave and free, male and female. Among us, you are all equal. That is, we are all in a common relationship with Jesus Christ. This, on the surface, it looks very simple. It looks very direct. This because of this, they sent a man to investigate and root out Christians, okay, among the, among the, I mean, in the Jewish nation and all that. Why? Because the degree, I mean, the Greco-Roman civilization thrived on the divide and rule kind of system. The, the rich must stand as the rich. The poor must stand as the poor. The women do not have any voice. Men are the ones who have voices, okay? Slaves know that they are like properties, your, 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 your owner can kill you and there won't be any end to it. So on the surface, you just say this is scripture, a powerful scripture. But at that time, it was a political statement. Because when believers started meeting, the rich person will sit behind, beside a poor person. Somebody that owns a land will sell it and make the money available to those who were poor. The widows in their midst were not allowed to just beg the state or anything. They were provided for by the church. This was a threat to Roman culture, Roman civilization. It was a threat. It was a political statement. But he's saying that in the family of Christ, we are not allowed to separate the rich from the poor 
the women from the men. We are all equal. We are all equal. In fact, Peter took it further. He said, deal with women with understanding because you are co-heirs with Christ. You are joint heirs with Christ. That's the way Peter put it. Second Timothy chapter 2, 24 to 26. He said, refuse to get involved in insane, I think this should be in, in, inane discussions. They always end up in fights. God's servant must not be argumentative, but gentle listener and teacher who keeps cool, working firmly but patiently with those who refuse to obey. Working firmly but patiently. You are holding your opinion, but you are patient to allow the person to see the opposing side, I mean, to see your, your viewpoint, okay? You never know how or when God might sober them up with a change of heart and turning to the truth, enabling them to escape the devil's trap where they are caught and held captive, forced to run his errands. Forced to run. So these are my conclusion, conclusions. Number one, listen. Listen to people who do not experience the world the way you do. Remember, where you sit is where you stand. Where you sit is where you stand. The reason why people hold the opinion they hold is because of the way they've been brought up. It's because of where they grew up. It's because they were either educated or not educated. It's because they were exposed or not exposed. So if you treat them the same way, you may be making a mistake. Bible says be patient while you are firm. Be patient. Listen to what they have to say. Second, learn. Don't just be a student. As in, be a student, not just a critic. People just want to criticize. But trust me, I asked a question the other time. I said, is there any value in having conversation with someone who holds an opposing idea to mine? Is there any value in it? Yes, there is value in it. At least you get to know that this is the way these people think. This is what, the reason why, um, okay, let me not go into that. So learn, be a student, not just a critic. Then lastly, love. Listen, learn, and love. Now, love is very powerful. The person beside you is more precious to God than your politically flawed views. You see the scripture that we hold? Okay, I don't have my Bible here. The scripture that we hold, the Bible says we know in part. How much more political views? If the scripture that is the word of life, the Bible says when you are engaging with people concerning the scripture, it will seem as if that's why you should insist. Ah, this is what the word says. This is what the word says. The Bible says you know in part. The reason why that is in the Bible is to humble you. Be humble. Revelation of God. Be humble. Be humble. Be humble. That revelation in another place is children's bread. I kid you not. Some things that are taken to be revelations in many places, bring them to TBC. They are like what some people discussed somewhere in the corner of nowhere. It is not really a big deal. It's something they've known. They are not just learning it. They've known it for years. Be humble. Be humble. Hallelujah. The person beside you is more important than the political view. Friendship cannot be caught because somebody holds a contrary opinion to yours politically. It doesn't make sense. So the Bible says that we should do everything to keep the unity of the faith in the bond of what? In the bond of peace. I don't know what that scripture is, but the scripture just came. It said, do everything in your power to keep the unity of the faith in the bond of peace. One of the ways to do that is to listen, is to learn, 
and to love. Never forget that. You may still be following Sunday, Adeyemo. You may be following Mazi, but don't let these three things depart from you because at some point, if your followership is wrong, you will know. If you are meant to desist from following them, you will know. I won't stand there and be pronouncing, don't follow this person, don't follow that person. That's not what church is about. Church is to put truth in your heart. Knowing that the Holy Spirit is already resident in your heart. And what the Bible says is that the Holy Spirit, we must trust Him enough to guide you to all truth. Hallelujah. Father, we give you praise. We adore your name, O oh God. Thank you, Father, for our nation, Nigeria. I want everybody, let's be on our feet, please. Let's be on our feet. I want us to bless the name of the Lord for Nigeria. Let's thank God for this country. One of the contributors said, we pray sometimes as if God is not willing to do something for Nigeria. And I believe that. But trust me, God is willing. I personally believe that Nigeria is God's client's nation. A nation that it depends on to carry out certain assignments on the earth. I believe that with all of my heart. Can we thank God on behalf of this nation? Peace will reign within your borders in the name of Jesus. Hope will be restored in the heart of your people. Progress will be the definition of your endeavors in the name of Jesus. Can we pray for our nation? The second prayer we're going to pray. I haven't prayed for our nation and I want you to do this from time to time. The second prayer borders around the church. Can we pray that we'll be one as he is one with his father? That we'll be one as he is one with his father. John chapter 17. Jesus didn't have two prayer points, only one prayer point. That they are one as we are one, father. I commit them to you. Let them be one as we are one. That was the prayer point. Can we pray for the church that we will be one? He said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you have love one for another, then evangelism can take place on a massive scale. Because the work is half done. The work is half done. Believers everywhere are showcasing the righteousness. So when you appear with the word of life, their hearts are already open to receive. Because other people, the way the church has been so active and impactful, has already opened the door. It's as if you are just closing the deals. As if you are closing deals. As if you are closing deals. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the emergence of this great army flooding every nook and crannies of this nation. Thank you, for, thank you for this army that have been equipped, trained for such a time as this. Thank you because this army, as they go everywhere, they rebuild the old ruins with the word of the kingdom in the name of Jesus. Thank you for this massive army destroying in their wake all the machinations and work of the enemy. Thank you, Father, for this great army destabilizing and removing from the base the pillar of religion that has remained kept people to be blind all this while. Thank you because the eyes are open and those in darkness have seen a great light. We give you praise, O oh God, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.